Since late November 2019, I haven't done a single in-person therapy session. The reason is that five months into my maternity leave with my youngest kid, Corona happened. And so I returned to my life as a therapist in private practice during a time when the entire world had moved their work online. But unlike most other therapists, I never went back to my physical office. In fact, a fundamental shift happened so that now I'm a full-time online therapist. And so is the psychologist I'll be speaking with in this episode. I won't say her name because as you'll hear in a bit, I couldn't quite decide on how to pronounce it. But what I can say about her is that she has a passion for the darkest shades of the human mind, chat therapy, and more generally, the potential of online therapy. Before starting this interview, I actually have, I don't know if it's two or if it's three disclaimers. The first being that though we are both native Danish speakers, Danish is our mother tongue, um, we obviously will do this interview in English for the it's complicated listeners out there. And I don't, I, I don't know how that will be. I don't know how it will be for me or for you. And it actually also begs the question, when you speak with English speakers, do you pronounce your name how you would in Danish or do you translate it to English? So do you go, hi, my name is Sophie or do you, or do you go, hi, my name is Sophie? I actually go by Sophie and a lot of my Danish friends actually also call me Sophie. So mm. I I do, it does not feel like it's the wrong name being said. So for me, Sophie is very natural. Yeah. So that's what I go with. Yeah. Okay. Sophie Book is your name. Yes. <laughs> Um, because with me it's different because I have this weird name spelled J-O-H-A-N-N-E which is uh, quite traditional Danish like an old Danish name yeah and so many people they say just say it how you would in Danish but then they would never be able to actually pronounce it and people how who do try, they pronounce it then it's like Johanny or <laughs> you know or like or or, or it's Johanna. cute I like it <laughs> that's cute too <laughs> yeah um but the next disclaimer is that you're the first person I'm interviewing for this podcast who I actually know because we're close colleagues and have been so for uh, March come March it's going to be a year we're going to have our really? wow. so one-year friend anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Must celebrate. Um, yes. And, <laughs> um, oh, and I guess, okay, the third one is a more technical one. This is actually my first attempt at using a microphone. And maybe, and maybe I actually want to get you speaking in a kind of untraditional way, because you probably have gotten the question before, uh, oh, you're a psychologist. Can you psychoanalyze this, or you know, can you can you analyze this? But but can you actually analyze why I would wait for interviews to <laughs> pick up a microphone and do it the proper way? You know, what is the mechanism behind this? I can I can also add that uh, my husband is a is a music producer. Uh, one of my best friends is a 
a, a famous podcast host and another best friend is um, an, an art, um, a sound artist. So, so it's almost like I've deliberately just been sabotaging the sound and I don't know why. Oh, interesting. Well, sabotaging yourself a little bit. <laughs> but I mean, now I'm cheating also because I know you a little bit. So yeah. does it really seem like such a surprise that you would wait with getting a microphone? But is it, would you say it's honoring the the messy and, and the ugly yeah. or... It, I think you're honoring the mess and the chaos that you thrive in a little bit. Okay. And, <laughs> and could it also be like me enjoying being scolded a bit? Because I, I got a lot of scold. From, Interesting. From, from these three people, you know, or not a lot. It was compassionate, but it was, it was like, why didn't you ask us for our help? Sound is everything for a podcast. What were you doing? And I was like, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe you connect a little bit with being the the kind of person who does podcasts but do not have a real microphone. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's something yeah. characteristic. The yeah. one that's getting scolded for this kind of thing. Yeah. The outcast, the outlaw. Okay, I like that. <laughs> Let, let's stick with that so that was all for my disclaiming introduction how would you introduce yourself to the listeners yeah. to the world good question so you already said my name we agreed that it is Sophie Book or Sophie Book in yes. Danish and I'm a psychologist I think I usually go with the clinical psychologist and therapist. Um, I do mostly therapy at the moment and I love it. That has really been a, a calling for me. So I work with Teladoc Health with you and have a private practice on the side, which is amazing. So therapy is one of my callings, I think, which feels amazing to follow. Oh, I could go on. I mean, there's a lot to to say in an introduction but I'm gonna stick with that yeah but did you know that from the from the get-go uh, when you started your studies that it was the clinical way you wanted to go or partly but I think actually it, it has been quite a surprise to me that therapy felt so good that therapy is such a mm, right path for me I think I thought for a long time I was going to go into the psychiatric system and do a lot of diagnosing because I, I do find it very interesting to observe people and and you know I have to figure them out yeah so that was for a long time what I thought I would be doing so it has been a bit of a surprise to find therapy so so interesting yeah in a way yeah and did it come throughout or was it an epiphany what was it like a slow burning realization or or was um, it actually with your first work that you found out oh this is this enjoyable I think that it was a mix because I think for sure something happened when I had my internship where it was very I saw how the psychiatric system can be very labeling and very um, 
in my point of view, uh, limited in some ways. There was not a lot of freedom for me to follow my intuition and do what I felt might lead to something good. And I think that's what I enjoy in therapy, that I get to connect with people, the, the people I work with, in a way that that was just not possible in the psychiatric system, for me at least, in my very short experience. So it, it, I think it came, it started there and became just bigger and bigger as I started doing therapy. Yeah, more and more clear. Yeah. But it wasn't just any psychiatric department. I, I remember reading and hearing that it was, uh, what's it called, the forensic yes. unit? Yeah. yeah, I guess so. In English, it would be something like that, the forensic unit of the psychiatric system yeah 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 which was very interesting and and was that something you deliberately sought out because I've always yes. seen you <laughs> you've always um, <laughs> stricken me as someone who who seeks out these you know the, these these realms that might scare other people or be yeah. at, at least a bit overwhelming or daunting and you're like ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm very much, yeah, it really attracts me very much this, this kind of world. And, and I th I've been thinking a little bit about it throughout the years also, because it's been going on for a long time that I was very interested in, in things that were just really difficult to understand, like from a emotional point of view, mm -hmm. or from a um, ethical point of view, I really was very interested in that world so yeah i i deliberately applied to go to the forensic unit and i was so excited to to be scared <laughs> honestly i kind of i was very aware of how i would feel and how it would be but also from a human point of view of course i i felt a very strong need to see these people as fellow humans and yeah. experience that how that feels you know in reality to to connect to someone who has lived such a different life from me and yeah. did, did that also come naturally when you were there um yeah I think that it was I mean I, I was very worried I I remember writing in my diary about it before about how or what what if I am just scared scared shitless or you know what if I want to just quit and what if I don't want to finish the internship mm. and luckily I had an amazing supervisor who taught me a lot about how to how to observe and how to just be and how everything that happens in that interaction is information so even if I'm scared it's important information so as it turned out you know you you have a lot of thoughts about okay, I will now talk to someone who has murdered their family or something crazy, right? But, but it's actually not, when you sit with them, they're just a fellow human being and yeah. you want to understand them and show them that you care. At least that's how I felt. Uh, you want to not judge or not condemn them. You yeah. just want to understand. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's like, seeing feelings as data and and just meeting each person as yeah exactly 
as, as a person really yeah, yeah. As a person yeah that that was such yeah just so important for me going into it that you know they are just people and the the world that they live in is so different from the rest of us and i was very fascinated by that yeah is is there a connection um to you also having done talks about online radicalization and yeah you know, and this whole chapter of you being at the forensic unit like i don't i don't know what that connection would be but i see something going yeah, on yeah so definitely and uh i i did my degree a little bit different than how it's supposed to go so i did my master's thesis before my internship so that also means that when i had my internship i had already written my thesis and could use it somehow a little bit in that's also why i ended up doing some presentations of my thesis in my internship um, right. and i had actually wanted to try to get into the police to see if i could get an internship with the police um, because that's a, a little bit more radicalization related than the forensic unit yeah. um, because the people in the forensic unit are uh, clinically insane right legally insane that's why they are there yeah. uh, so what i was very fascinated by was was the the radicalization process uh, which would be a little bit more in the police area yeah but it still turned out to have some value and they mm -hmm. definitely were very open to 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 hearing what i had to what i had found out in my my thesis yeah so, so what was your thesis about what what was like the The oh, it was or... awesome. Yeah, it was so fun. It was so interesting. So I had, before writing my thesis, I had worked um, my whole study time, so like five years uh, in an NGO in Aarhus called Center for Digital Pedagogik. Mm. And they had a project going on called the Angry Internet, a couple of projects really, but they were looking into uh, hate speech and specific Uh, movements online and also looking into the radicalization and trying to uh, collect data on on what what is going on in the online world when it comes to uh, extremism mm. and they were looking very much into the the right wing and specifically the incel movement mm. and I was really fascinated by this and I wanted to I really wanted to participate so I I thought okay then I must write a thesis. And that's how it became a thing. So my whole, my what I wanted to find out was, how, what do we know about radicalization? What have we concluded? Mm -hmm. And how can we imagine that the radicalization process takes place online? Is it yeah. different? What's, what is similar? Who gets radicalized online? How do we help them? Yeah. That was super, super interesting. Really cool. Did it then also end up entailing chapters about YouTube algorithms? Because without having any yeah. technical savviness in that regard, I just, I long ago, I remember listening to this, um, the New York Times podcast, The Rabbit Hole, where. Yeah, uh, it's great. Yeah. yeah where that where that was so the, 
yeah that was a big part of it just how how mm -hmm. how the youtube algorithm oh, is, is so dangerous um yeah um be because because you really do go down a rabbit hole um, exactly totally and it's a i i looked not so much at the actual algorithm part but more at the psychological part of of how what is it that is going on how do we go down how do how does this whole thing of going down the rabbit hole actually look psychologically mm -hmm. why are we suddenly in an echo chamber of like-minded people who hate women why are we suddenly there and why do we stay and why mm -hmm. do we act so yeah very yeah but i was looking actually mostly at um platforms as reddit and 4chan hn these places yeah. that the incel movement is was quite active at the time yeah 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 flourishing in those on those platforms and yeah is there would you say there's a clear divide between your you know practical clinical work and then this um more th theoretical fascination or, or you know the fact that you do these talks and mm -hmm. um and 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 you have this like yeah this 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 passion um mm -hmm. to examine what what goes on or do you sometimes find yourself actually using the knowledge that you've accumulated also in in your sessions like yeah it's a good question and I thought about it as well um, because I, I do have a dream of of at some point using my knowledge of of online therapy and online counseling and these I've worked with different platforms of, for young people to, to seek into and my I, ha I do have a dream of creating some sort of platform or figuring out how to get to these uh, the people I focused on was the angry young men online yeah um, and, and I would love to figure out how to how to get to them how to help them how to how to hear them and see them um, but of course this specific group is not necessarily the ones that are in line for at a, a therapist's office no um so I, I think I do use it, my knowledge, and uh, but mostly I think the, the whole idea, the whole perspective of what the weight that the online world has in our life, who are we online and who, how do we interact and all of our friends. And I see the online world as just as real as the offline world, uh, yes. which I think is also something that may maybe that's how, in my opinion, we should see it. So I, I do use it. I ask, and we talk about the online world if it's if it fits, if it's necessary, or if it plays a role. Yeah, yeah. So to some degree, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's also something I haven't uh, even asked you about. I've just assumed it. But besides the internship you did, have have you only been working online actually uh, all the therapy you do is it is it solely online now yes i i did a little bit of face to face also yeah. but it was such um it, for me it it has just been such a big interest to figure out how do we do online therapy how do we where can we go with online therapy what are the 
in my opinion, it's almost limitless what we can do with with online therapy. So, and I was interested in that from I started um, studying actually. So, so it felt very natural for me to continue that path. I would love to do face to face as well, um, face to face as in physical in an office somewhere or on a walk or something. Yes, uh, but but so far the online has taken all my time. Yeah. And can you talk a bit more about that? The potential of the online oh, yes. format? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> That's a big one. <laughs> I, I really think that it's the future in so many ways. And I think that um, you also know this, that I have tried to be active in the in our you know our field psychology fields recognition of the online therapy which is still unfortunately behind there's still this mainstream opinion that therapy is very traditional you sit in a room together the client is maybe even on a couch laying down and you analyze dreams or whatever it can quickly become very traditional in my opinion and i think that I, a sentence I have heard a lot is that uh, therapists think that when we go online and do therapy online, we lose a lot. Mm. Then we lose so much information. In my opinion, um, if we have that perspective, then we will lose. And then we will not do very good therapy necessarily. Yeah. I don't know if uh, some people are really good, of course, at adapting. But I do think that that perspective, that way of thinking will will definitely limit our effectiveness in therapy online instead i think we should focus on what we gain and what is suddenly very unique to the online connection yeah um if we have that perspective i think that there are no limits to what we can do with online therapy we can suddenly offer therapy to people all around the world as we do in it's complicated through yeah. the, its complicated platform. We can have clients that are sitting different places in the world. Um, they can sit at home. I can sit at home. It, it can create a safe space that the client also has um, a role in creating. I think it, it that can have a healing effect in itself, yeah. which is super interesting. We can meet our clients' pets, yeah, exactly. And they can they can meet our pets and we can, yeah. it's just a very different, it takes some of the very, um, I also experienced that people open up much faster. So we are quite fast to get to what matters. We're mm. quite fast to have a, a good connection. We are quite fast to have built up a, a very strong relationship online. Yeah. Um, and I think that's because the client or this is just my guess, right? But the, the, the client might feel a little bit more comfortable sitting at home or on a walk. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feel as, how do you say, uh, you know, staged as in a, yeah. a therapist's office. I, I mean, I've also been to therapy face to face myself and been sitting on the couch with my hands very tight and trying not to cry, but on the phone, I think, or with a video at home, yeah. it's easier. Do you, yeah. do you also think um, that part of the explanation could be that this 
power balance of the traditional expert therapist and the unknowing vulnerable client it it is destabilized simply through the format so it's yeah i think i th i think in in a way i i don't have my props when i do online therapy so and i don't have my professional well my you know my online office space is professional but but it's like it's it, it doesn't look as like you said staged yeah. and so yeah. i think i also come across probably as a bit more vulnerable maybe a bit more human yeah. um, i totally think so but it's interesting right that we that that somehow actually through technology through a computer we might seem more human that's very interesting to me that 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 can actually happen through the online connection we are creating a very very human con connection relational connection i think that's amazing and yeah it and definitely also, i definitely agree yeah and and like right now um it, we we are doing this over zoom by the way, the next step will be to use something even more podcast professional than Zoom. But, <laughs> but, but you are speaking directly into my ears, and that in itself creates a more, I would say, a more intimate listening experience. I agree very much. I agree so much, and I think that that this is exactly what the online therapy can can do. We can connect and create a really intimate and close interaction and at the same time there's so much power in language right because that's all we have especially if we're doing therapy over the phone for example we all we have is the language and the little cues of sighing or tone and i think that there's so much information in that in itself that i have when we do online therapy i have all my focus on that in a way that would not be possible physically in a room. I think that that's just too much yes. at once. So yes. I, I think that you're totally right that this can almost be like you're a voice in my head. Yeah. <laughs> and that's very interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that that's very that's a very special relationship yeah. to create. And I guess yeah. even our relationship is a testimony to the potential and the and the, and the power of the online format because i think we've only met each other in real life yeah like a few three, times yeah yeah a few times and and still you know it feels extremely real and and yeah yeah exactly and so yeah i'm i'm all for more research into the online therapy format yeah. more Definitely. books Oh, so definitely. So write that book. <laughs> <laughs> That's so a dream for yes. sure. <laughs> That's definitely, I, I will do my best to make that happen. Great. I think that there's a lot to say. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to speak with you about the fact that you have actually very recently made the transition from being you know, a completely securely employed um, nine to five kind of, I mean, you know, uh, 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 you've been employed as a, yes. as a therapist, as a psychologist. <laughs> and now 
you are self-employed and you are you know a private practitioner who can do whatever the f she wants and (laughs) yeah I guess I just wanted to hear you about that that move that transition how how is it going so far um you're towards I guess you're towards the end of your first month as a yeah it's amazing yeah honestly I think it it was a uh exactly right move for me and maybe exactly because now I can do whatever the f I want as you said which I felt like I could do that before too to some degree but but there is a different freedom in um in my methods now that that are really I can really you know, I'm experimenting a little bit with my private practice and trying different techniques and methods and trying to figure out how to use the the chat function in its complicated platform in the therapy. How can we use the fact that we can actually message each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, so right now I'm, I'm playing the role of diary for a lot of my clients. They can message me anytime. I will be wow. the diary, the receiver of the diary entries and it's it's I, I really enjoy that I really really do um, and I do think that that again creates such a my clients are all for it also they are very open to my experiments which I'm very thankful for and very <laughs> that's a that really yeah. really means a lot so yeah so that's but, I think the the biggest change yeah yeah so one could almost say that jumping into private practice, jumping into the life as a or the life of a freelancing psychologist has has made you like more creative and more experimental yeah. in your methods. Totally, definitely. Yeah. Uh, which I I think yeah, exactly. I think it's it's actually really beautiful the change that it did for me because I I think I had the time and energy before to do it as well but it didn't feel like it in the same way there's such a different freedom now I'm doing this I'm trying these things because I want to and and it's it just it changed it really changes the the motivation behind it which is great yeah 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 locus of control (laughs) yeah totally (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know me, I could speak forever and I would speak forever, but both of us are, sounds so lame, but busy psychologists and have to <laughs> jump into actual client sessions. Yeah. Um, yeah. But maybe I'll just have to do a part two with Sophie Book um, <laughs> in a couple that of months. That would be lovely. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and then I can hear, you know, how life is for you then um, <laughs> and how your experiments are going. But it yes. was so lovely getting to interview you and trying on yeah. the role as an interviewer with yeah, thank one you. of my dear colleagues. <laughs> and I'll speak to you later. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> thank you.